Welcome to the third episode of the second season of Run Amok with Rex and Chuck. I, of course, am Chuck. With me is Rex, wearing my favorite shirt. It says Liberty and Freedom on the front of it. Oh, yeah. Two of my favorite words. Yes. And next to him, our valiant producer, Nate. Hello, hello. Last time we were with you, we were talking about some pretty serious stuff with COVID-19, if you're hip, otherwise known as the coronavirus. This time, even more serious stuff. Because we're talking about the book to end all books. The only book you'll ever need. The secret? No. Oh. Blasphemy. <laughs> no, it's not the secret. It's not Huck Finn. It's not live your best life now. It's not oh uh, wild at heart. It's not mm. all the quiet on the truth. Western front. I have, believe it or not, actually read a sort of truth book. And no, it's not that either. Uh, it's the Bible. Oh, how did that you not? Book. How did you not yeah, put two and two together? That makes sense. Mm-hmm. The only book qualified to be one that really defines your life and your ethics. The only book qualified to be the basis of our theology. And why might that be so, men? Do you want a real answer? Yeah. <laughs> Tell you what. Start me off with a fake answer, and then give me a real answer. Because I had a vision. And it told me, never mind. <laughs> Not sure where that was going. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> let's do real answer because okay. that's mm. all I really have. Yeah. yeah. Uh, because it was given to us by God. Yeah. Hello. It is the only book that is the inspired, authoritative word of God. And anytime we're going to do theology, anytime we are going to say truths about God, it's got to be based in this book. Yes. This is the foundation on which all of our understanding about the spiritual world, about the God of the universe, about Jesus, even about the, the first century culture that Jesus lived in. Like, this is the basis of all of that. So what do you say to the people that are like, no, the Bible is written by people. I say, shut up. By scribes and listening to these That's other guys really talking about things. No, what I say is that um, we trust in the spiritual inspiration of Scripture, that through the Holy Spirit, um, the guys who were palling around with Jesus were able to reiterate their stories to those who wrote them down, right? So the Gospel of Mark is probably an interpretation of Peter's times with Jesus. Like, he's probably the source for the Gospel of Mark. The Gospel of Luke, we know, came later and is actually drawn from a number of written sources that existed before Luke, who wrote it, came around. Mm-hmm. Um, and we know it was written almost like it was commissioned by somebody named Theophilus, because it begins with, my dear Theophilus. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and it's so who meant, was Luke? Luke was like, a, I don't know what's the right word for it, a, not historian, but like he was a compiler mm-hmm. of all this stuff. So like he went out and he found, and he even says like this this is the account of the things that like we've received. Right. Right. So like the stuff we've heard, the stuff that's been written down. So evidently Luke writes this gospel using a number of different sources that by the time he sat down to write it, were being passed around in the Christian community. These were the words of the apostles who had known Jesus that had been written down and were now like in circulation, possibly for the first time. And Luke is reaching out and accessing these sources and putting them together. And from that comes a gospel. Now, 
that might sound like we're leaning into the accusation that like, well, it is written by people. But again, we understand scripture to be spiritually inspired. So even though it was Luke who was doing all of this work and sitting down and putting this gospel together, and even though he was doing it essentially because it was something he was commissioned to do, Mm -hmm. we trust that the Holy Spirit was at work through that entire process and that the final product is almost word for word something that God gave to Luke. Yeah. Does that make sense? And that yeah, and that's very clearly describes how the New Testament was written and the Old Testament Old Testament was basically written out by prophets. Yeah. So they had a very direct link with God. So you can very well, I mean, once you've established that you you believe in God and you believe that he had prophets, why would he then instruct them to write these things or have the have these things that they've said be written down if it was just going to be like untrue yeah um and the fact that some some of scripture is drawn from like these multiple different sources should really add to its historicity right because that means that it didn't come from just one source right it had multiple different authors it spans hundreds and hundreds of years it is a single uniqueness to the bible it is the only book to have had that many authors over such a wide span yeah and to have a consistent theme all throughout yeah a consistent theme a consistent message which Um, points to a greater author yeah exactly right i mean jk rowling can't even keep (laughs) like the world of harry potter together and that's only been around for like 20 years sure right uh-huh. In 10 years, it's going to turn out that Harry was transgender and <laughs> and that the whole thing was a dream oh my. Uh, <laughs> or something. Maybe. You know? Now we're going somewhere. That's the direction that, that she's taken it she in, She right? has changed some characters around. Exactly. Yeah. Um, gosh, I don't know. I'm trying to think of some other... Some other book series that might be like that, but to be honest, I'm not. I'm not too up on like contemporary literature. Most of the stuff yeah. I read is like poli sci stuff, nerd stuff, stuff nobody would want to read. Right? right? Yeah. Nobody. Economic stuff, poli sci. Nobody stuff, in their right mind. You know. Right. Some classicals like Huck Finn. I love Tom Sawyer. I love All Quiet on the Western Front. I love, but like those aren't part of a series. <laughs> well, Tom Sawyer and Huck Finn are part of a series. But, yeah. You know. So um, there's. There's also the argument against the Bible about all the like the inaccuracies in it. People like to say, "Oh, look, I know that there's like x amount of things that are mistranslated or mm. very obviously like this part says one thing, but then this part says something else." Yeah, in perceived their mind. discrepancies, right? Yeah. Yeah, um, and that's the right word for it cuz a lot of it is just perceived discrepancy and and it's not like a real Right. Discrepancy, well, what you know? they'll do so is like, they'll get a hold of a fact like, oh, there's, there's errors in the Bible. There's like they'll say like there's a hundred errors in the Bible, but they're, what they're missing, I think, a lot of times is that ninety percent of that is like a misplaced period. Yeah, I mean, Greek has no grammar. Sure. Yeah. And I don't think Hebrew does either. At least ancient Hebrew, but. Mm-hmm. Koine Greek, which is what a lot of the New Testament's written in, has no punctuation, right? It's got mm-hmm. no periods at the end of the sentence. Most of it, although Greek does have capital and, and lowercase letters, most of it is just written all in lowercase. If you ever see 
um, an ancient script, it's so difficult to sit there and, and decipher, mm. you know, um, because like I said, it's all written in lowercase. There's no mm. punctuation. So every translation actually has a little bit of interpretation in it. Sure. Um, and part of my answer to that is like, you, you almost have to let the Bible testify to its own truthfulness a little bit. So a little bit of like second Timothy three sixteen, right? All scripture is God breathed mm-hmm. and useful, right? We take that to mean that it is accurate and reliable and things like that. Otherwise it wouldn't be useful. Right. right? And, mm-hmm. and we know that if something is breathed out by God, it is truthful and, and accurate and reliable. Um, but now I can't remember <laughs> what I was arguing again. Oh, that's it's right. Okay. Yeah. Like mistranslation and stuff. Sure. Um, you know, again, at some point we have to trust that like God is at work through translators. Now, does that mean that every translation, because there are a lot of just modern English translations, does that mean every translation is the same? Not necessarily. Right. Some are what you call more functional where they capture sort of the spirit of what's being said and maybe translate it into English. It's easier to understand the message Bible is a great example of that. Yeah. I was going to mention that one too, because um, I read it. I read like, during a service, I flipped from the, I usually use NIV, for example, but I flipped over to the message for a moment, and I was just blown away by how different it read, because I got, yes, it was trying, it was conveying the same exact concept, but it was very different in terms of how it just worded everything, and it, it made it, I I understand why people would like it, because it is very much more, here's, here's the gist of what is happening here, but I also was like, oh, that is weird to me because I've never seen it done that way before. But in a language and terminology that you're more familiar with and can really grasp and understand yeah. better. Yeah, it was so like message Bible is that. Yeah. And that doesn't mean message Bible is inaccurate. No. It just means that it's not trying to be a word for word translation of the ancient languages. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, NLT is one of my f- new living translation is one of my favorite translations because it's functional, but it's literal enough that I trust what I'm reading is like accurate. And it really is expressing the spirit of what is there in the ancient language. Yeah. And it agrees a lot with some of the more literal translations like ESV, which is English Standard Version, and NIV, yeah. uh, New International Version. Um, and then you have what are the more literal translations. ESV would be one of those um, that makes no apologies for how awkward some of the phrasing is mm-hmm. <laughs> in some scriptures or how awkward some of the structuring of it is. Um, because they're saying, hey, our job is to translate a best understanding of the word-for-word ancient manuscripts. Now, the thing about a lot of these translations is that they will agree a majority of the time about what's there in the text. Um, And that's even true about, like, the King James, which is not one of my favorite translations. (laughs) Um, It's a fun translation. (laughs) But even that agrees most of the time with what would be in a modern English translation. The only... One of my only real big complaints about the King James is that it was written at a time that we had so many fewer families of ancient manuscripts to translate from. A modern English translation has a huge advantage over KJV for that, that there's so many more ancient manuscripts that we know this probably is a more accurate version of mm-hmm. what, what was first written down sure. when it was first transcribed. You know, um, So when it comes to mistranslation and stuff like that, I'd say that's trying to point to a problem that doesn't really exist um, because we have, we have ancient versions of these. Well, not only do we have ancient versions like that date back to pretty close to the beginning of this, 
we also have, again, pretty unique to the Bible, so many translations. Yeah. I think it's somewhere, I think I heard some at one point, it's somewhere in the like 19,000 different translations, be it because of language or just because of trying to change the nuances of the language for different periods of time, throughout time. And across all of those, the general concept has remained the same. Yeah. They don't change any of the meanings behind the phrases. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and, you know, when it comes to, if, if somebody were to stand up and tell me that, oh, well, there's all these inaccuracies in the Bible, my first thing would be, okay, point one out to me. Sure, yeah. Um, because chances are that's something they've received and they haven't actually sought out for themselves. Yeah. Um, but if they were to point to something like, well, okay, in numbers it says there is this many people, but like, oh, that's impossible to know all this time later, you know, or, well, like when Jesus sends out his disciples in Luke's gospel, some manuscripts say 70, some say 72. Mm-hmm. So that's got to be an inaccuracy, right? right? Mm-hmm. Um, which, first of all, they're holding scripture to a much higher standard of like historical accuracy than they would anything else. And but I mean, also, maybe they should because it's a text that claims to be infallible and holds all the meaning of the universe and, you know, the fate of the world in the future. So maybe it should be held to a higher standard than anything else. But um, they wouldn't do that to any other text. They wouldn't do that to any other historical idea. There's more historical sources, more source evidence that the events of the Bible are true than there are that Alexander the Great ever existed. Right. And yet nobody questions whether Alexander the Great was real. Right. We can't even agree about how many people were killed in the Holocaust, but nobody questioned. Well, <laughs> there's, there's let me stop myself lately. right there. Yeah. Right. You stumbled <laughs> into a pit a there, my friend. Who question whether the Holocaust happened, but they shouldn't. No. Right, because we we know that it happened. Right, there's people who survived, um, but they they hold that as like one of the reasons for questioning is oh, well, people can't agree about the number of people who died. Right, well, that doesn't change its historicity. That doesn't change the timeline of events and the fact that it happened. Right, and you know you could say the same thing about the Bible. So I won't even agree that the Bible inaccurately reports details but assuming that was true um that doesn't change the fact that the events happened whether it was 70 or 72 doesn't change the fact that yeshua of nazareth was the son of god and a brilliant rabbi who Mm -hmm. had a sizable following and sent them out to go be salt and light in in the first century it doesn't change palestine yeah it doesn't change anything that's important to that particular scripture yeah 70 to 72 and then you know, numbers, one thing, too, to understand about numbers in Scripture is that sometimes they take on metaphorical or symbolic meaning. Um, there's a lot of different ways that people read Revelation, especially when it comes to numbers. So, like, it's kind of commonly agreed among Bible scholars that, like, seven represents some form of completeness mm-hmm. or perfection. Right. Right. So it mentions the seven spirits of God in the heavenly throne room. Well, there's not seven spirits of God. Right. But that number is a stand in for like the completeness, the triune presence of God, you know, mm-hmm. um, seven trumpets, bowls and seals. Right. Right. The completeness of God's judgment. The one hundred and forty four thousand. Right. I read that as literal. Some people point to that and they say, oh, well, isn't it a coincidence that there's 12 tribes and that that would be 12,000 from each of the 12 tribes. Maybe that number is a stand-in for a message that is really trying to say that it encompasses all of Israel. 
mm-hmm. or all of the people of God. A couple different ways you could take that, right? right. And I'm not gonna, I'm not, I'm not gonna stand there and argue with somebody who disagrees whether that number is metaphorical or literal. But right. all that to say, numbers sometimes take on a, a certain special meaning when it comes to scripture, um, and that they're an unfair standard to try to argue about scripture's historicity. You know, even though it's one that people commonly try to use. Yeah, yeah I would kind of take a issue with any of those kind of arguments that were brought up just like well they're numbers you know stop worrying so much about it but i guess it's oversimplifying things um i mean i haven't read like the vedas of buddhism but if i wanted to be enough of a stickler about it i could probably find a couple of discrepancies you sure know? yeah um it's it's unfortunate that there are so many people with just sort of an anti-scripture bias because even if like they didn't come to faith, there's so much wisdom that they could benefit from, Uh Uh-huh. but they likely never will because they don't want to. It, it says in scripture that it's Jesus basically puts it that, you know, being his follower, we're going to, we should expect the same kind of treatment that he got. And there's just something about, the Bible that really does push back on the worldly beliefs and makes the world uncomfortable. And I use the term the world basically just to mean anyone who doesn't believe in Christ. And it, it tends to push against what makes you comfortable or, or it challenges you. And anytime as human beings, we feel challenged by something, we're going to challenge back. We're going to have some adversity to that. And that does mean that things like the Bible or churches or just Christians were going to be maybe not attacked, although in the world that is happening. In the United States, maybe not attacked, but you're going to feel like you're rubbing somebody the wrong way or you're going to feel like blown off by somebody just because of your beliefs. Like you're going to come up against adversity. And the Bible definitely comes up against that, especially on, especially online. You're going to get a lot of that. There's so much free thinking in in what is basically a, a forum of anonymity. Yeah, that people free who don't thinking, feel by comfortable the way, should be said with quotations around it. Yeah. <laughs> people who are maybe uncomfortable to say things in person will definitely say it online and. And people who are have who have felt maybe wronged by parents or by the church, that's where they're finding their voice, and they're the ones who are speaking out online, because that's where I think a lot of maybe our future fan base is going to come from. Yeah, they're going to be listening to us online. Is it fair to say that you're a a redditor? Yeah. Care to give out your Reddit handle? I am a. <laughs> I am a lurker, and I actually do not have a handle. Oh, that's fine. Yeah. Um, I haven't but, made that leap yet. Yeah. I'm a little bit hesitant. But I'm not sure you, I can handle it. You know, since since you hang out as a non-participant yeah, uh-huh. um, on what is maybe the largest collection of people on the internet, I don't know. Um, maybe. Maybe Facebook's still bigger, Instagram's still. But in any case, Reddit is pretty big. I know they take in a pretty big share of daily internet traffic. What kinds of things specifically, like, do you see being said, or, or rather, written I do about see scripture? 
Or... Well, I don't see anything maybe specific too often about scripture. I have seen it. There's like a subreddit called Atheism, and they, it, all the posts I've seen on it, at least the ones that have been, um, like made it to the top page, the front page or whatever, they've, they've mostly been, wow, my crazy parents made me do this. I'm finally 18. I can get out of there. I'm an atheist because blah, blah, blah. And most times when I read that stuff, man, it makes me sad. It makes me sad, not necessarily that, like, I'm not upset that they're upset. I'm upset that their parents misled them. Like, right, misrepresented. Misrepresented yeah. what yeah. they were supposed to be. Did not raise their children in love. It seems like they raised them more of, like, this is the law, you know, very much like we've been studying recently with the Sermon on the Mount and how Jesus is trying to compare, you know, what the... Um, what are they called? Well, the there's the Pharisees, the Pharisees, scribes. what they're all teaching to be how you live by God, like right with God versus how God is trying to tell you like th that still happens today so abundantly. Right. And so many of the people who have been burned by the church, by their parents or whatever. It's because they're actually being burned by the ones who are living by that strict legalism and not by love and grace and an actual community i i don't know how to the word it, but is there but the ethics of the word might be lacking yeah the it, message of the word might be lacking there's something that is stopping the developing young person mm -hmm. the 18 year old from having a a loving rooted relationship with the Bible. Yeah. And they have a very skewed and it's not their fault. And again, I'm not, I don't feel like upset by them per se. I'm sad that they've gone through what they've gone through. And I'm sad they did. They don't quite maybe understand some of the things that they've, that they've heard and learned about and maybe think they know, but they're, they're hearing things like you can't be a homosexual. You're going to hell if you're a homosexual. And missing the other part of it where there's grace involved and there's like we we all have fallen short, but we all have an opportunity, you know, like it's not about any one particular thing. And it seems like so often when I read posts on Reddit, it's like they have found a particular thing to be hurt by and and stand up against. It's almost like this thing has given them something to be angry about and they just latch onto it so hard and with so many walls built up that they'll never hear. Yeah. They'll never hear the other side of it. There, there's just no, it almost feels like there's no chance. And it, that's what makes me sad. Yeah. I'm very moved by. And what I find unfortunate is that a lot of people who are in that situation who I've encountered, they will say, well, I know the Bible mm -hmm. or I've read the Bible. And, of course, what they mean is I know many verses of the Bible or I know the sequence of books of the Bible. Mm -hmm. I know a lot of words that are in the Bible. Um, but to know the Bible is a lot more than to know just the words on the page. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like, mm -hmm. like to know what it is is more than just to know it's an ancient text. 
is to know more than just the names of all of the books from Genesis to Revelation is to know more than the fact that, you know, there's five books of Moses and there's prophets and there's Psalms and Proverbs and Job and other wisdom texts and, and on and on to really know the Bible is to know that it is the self revelation of God mm-hmm. to humanity mm-hmm. which is why it's the primary source of all of our theology because it is the only text through which God has revealed himself to us um, it's the only text that through his Holy Spirit has been preserved to make sure that self revelation is consistent from generation to generation. So when someone tells me they know the Bible, I don't check them on their memorization. Mm -hmm. I ask them, then tell me what it is. And it's unfortunate that very rarely do I get that kind of answer that, Oh, it's, it's the way that God reveals himself to people. Cause I think if people knew that, I think if people believed that and they understood scripture to be that, they probably would not be atheists or just anti-church or whatever. Yeah. You know, people of the world, right? Enemies of God, however we want to phrase it. Um, Because if they understood that, then they would know that every time the Bible talks about grace or about steadfast love and faithfulness, every time the the Bible talks about forgiveness and self-sacrifice. Those are values that are in God's nature that are being revealed to his people. Yeah. It's not just him saying, go and do this. It's him saying, this is part of who I am and I desire you to be like me. Yeah. Um, Now that is not to say (laughs) that those things, especially if you try to do them alone are easy to understand I can still remember the first time, and for those who don't know, like I did not become a believer until I was like 25, which was just about six years ago. And the first time I tried to sit down and read the Bible, like a lot of people who are approaching it for the first time, I made the mistake, and I stand by that word mistake, of trying to start in Genesis, because that seemed like the logical choice. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And, you know, I had a literal translation of the Bible. I think it might have been an ESV. And it didn't belong to me. It had been left in my apartment by an old friend of mine. And and I'm trying to read this thing and thumb through it. And I got through like the first three, th- first three chapters of Genesis. And I was just like, oh my gosh. Yeah. I've been an atheist my whole life. And this is exactly what I thought it was. Like, <laughs> yeah, this is talking serpents and mumbo jumbo and, and fall and from the garden and, and, and then they leave the garden and there's already cities and, sure. and they don't explain that like yeah it's 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 exactly what i was afraid it would be you know what i always tried to do what? when i was like reading genesis i started it i did the same thing when i was i think about 18 i was like okay maybe i really should try to just just read this thing uh i started at genesis i think i made it all the way to about numbers and when I just started reading name after name after name, I'm like, okay, I'm done. The begots. Right, yeah. Uh, but I kept thinking, one of the things that really held me up, I kept thinking, well, if Eden was there, where is it now? Yeah. Why ah, isn't it still around? Interesting question. Like, if God put, like, guards, like, literally, like, flaming swords or something, right? Yeah. To protect the entry 
to Eden? Where the heck is it? Like, that I is... was just so, like, on that, that, like you're saying, I missed what the Bible was really trying right. to yeah. show me. I, I focused on the one thing and just held on to that. And it, that's one of the things I was like, well, if this is, if this was real, we'd have evidence of Eden. If this was real, yeah. we would see the, the ark somewhere on a mountaintop. That'll you know? be an interesting topic for another time, probably, because yeah. there sure. is, that yeah. is interesting. Um, the first book, the first version I ever read was the King James version. Tough going, dude. It was <laughs> it was rough, yeah. and I think it was in our house because it was the King James version. It was like we were we were trying to be reverent. Yeah. You know, well, I mean, I still without... I still meet people who say that's the only ordained English translation is King James. Now that's kind of like an old school kind of Bible Belt thing. Yeah. Not to say that there's not Californians who believe but that. There is too, something but... fun about reading it now. <clears throat> Just feeling like you're speaking in old English, <laughs> like because you kind of connected to that time period. Very old and, English, right, right. <laughs> about 400 years old English. Yeah, it's yeah. fun. <laughs> it's um, fun. But I will say, like, I think looking back on that time, part of the reason I did not wrap my arms around those first three chapters of Genesis was number one, I didn't understand at all how it connects to the rest of the Christian story or even the Jewish story, which is what the old Testament is. Yeah. Um, and when you don't have that, it just, it, it just appears very strange and you don't know the context and the connections and, and, and it's what it the, leads to and what it alludes to and all those things. And it's like, one of the books that's actually written a little bit more uniquely. It's kind of written more poetic. Yeah. Um, even though it's maybe not translated quite, doesn't quite feel like a poem when you translate it into English, but that was the original style. And God's artistry is on full display Mm -hmm. because there's stuff that happens in Eden that has, I mean, obviously ramifications like the fall, but very specific connections to the Messiah. Mm -hmm. And the Messiah wasn't even a concept that Adam and Eve would have understood. Mm -hmm. What do they need saving from? You know, sure. um, what even is a Messiah? Things like that, right? Uh, and then you get to Revelation, and it's this picture of Eden and its return and its restoration. And the tree of life is there, and there's rivers of living water. And and it's this promise of just the idea of paradise. Mm-hmm. Like I said, that's, that's God's artwork on full display there, you know? Yeah. But if you don't... If you start in Genesis and you've never read it before, you don't know any of that stuff. So where do you start? <laughs> if you were to tell somebody who's just wanting to get into the Bible for the first time, or maybe, again, for the second time, but maybe a better way yeah. of going about it, what, what would you suggest? John, probably. Okay. Um, because Why? John Because John is going to illustrate the centrality of love and faithfulness of God the exclusivity of Jesus as in he's the only way to salvation mm-hmm. in very real ways. Some early church history stuff, right? Nicodemus is there. It's going to give you still the same timeline as the rest of the gospels that, you know, Jesus, his ministry began. He taught, he had his disciples. He was sending people out crucifixion, resurrection. Um, but John, perhaps better than any of the other gospel writers, the other three, puts forth the proposition essentially 
of Christianity mm. because he writes things like whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have the son does not have life. Mm-hmm. Right. So he makes the stakes very clear yeah. about choosing Jesus. And he also tells the story in a very beautiful way. And he makes the ethics of God and the values of God very clear. Um, now, the other gospel writers do that, too. I just think John, especially for someone who doesn't doesn't quite understand the connections of the different stories and, and different events, John's a really good place to start. Um, also, there's a lot of stuff in John's gospel that is only in John's gospel, right? So if you went from Matthew to Mark, a lot of times you're going to feel like you're reading the same book, and then you're going to get to Luke, and it's like, well, this is slightly different, but a lot of these stories I'm familiar with, and then you're going to get to John, and it's a lot of new stuff. Um, so I'd say start in John, go back to Mark, then go into maybe Luke and then go into Matthew, you know, like sort of hmm. jump Ping-pong around. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> Cause yeah. you, you know, you're in the last gospel and then you're in the first one and mm-hmm. then the third one and then the second one, you know? Right, right. Um, so I'd say that's a decent order and then go into acts, right? Because now you understand the gospel narrative. Okay. Well, how did that work out for the first yeah, how Christians, the church get going. You know, yeah, the first believers. So you go into Acts. Um, that will naturally flow into the epistles. And, you know, the order that they're laid out in Scripture is just fine. I wouldn't say, hey, you need to jump around those at all. So what's um, an epistle? The epistles are those letters. So all of the books that come after Acts are letters to oh. a specific Christian community, by the right. way. Um, so that's your Romans, that's your first and second Corinthians, that's mm-hmm. your Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians, on and on and on. You know, Judah's a letter, James is a letter, even Revelation is a letter mm-hmm. to the seven churches. Um, those are the epistles. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, now, Revelation, it's a letter, it's not an epistle, okay? It's a, it's a, like, it's a prophecy, it's what they call an apocalyptic Um the difference is that epistles are what they call occasional. So there's like a reason that first and second Corinthians are written. There's a reason that Galatians are written um, or is written. Paul is responding to something specific happening in this Christian community that needs to be addressed, right? It has a very specific place on the timeline and a reason for being written. That's what makes it an epistle, mm-hmm. right? So, so that's what an epistle is. It's an occasional letter that comes with all of this teaching and instruction. Cool. So we, we did an episode in last season called White Church. And I feel like this discussion kind of leads naturally into the idea that church is also a great place to help you understand the Bible. And that's almost kind of the point outside yeah. of just getting that congregational family yeah, the spiritual community is going to help you to understand Scripture. Right, um, but that being really the whole purpose of your job yeah, is to explain what the Bible is saying. Yeah, I mean, the shepherding stuff and, and you know, the leadership stuff is all important. You know, the management stuff is all important. But, yeah, I, I also think my primary job as Rockridge Church pastor is that I'm a person who the com- who the community has come together and said, we trust this guy to go into the scriptures, teach us what they say, explain to us their relevance to today, yeah. and make the historical connections that we need. You know, They trust okay. me to do that in a way that's accurate and informative, and if I'm having a really good day, hopefully a little bit inspiring. Mm-hmm. But well, I could probably afford to work on that a little bit more. <laughs> no, you're doing a great job. 
we've got a f- maybe a few more minutes here that we can tack on. I know you wanted to share your favorite verse. Right. Yeah, I mean, that's... Ending with that. As we grow and we become spiritually more mature, there are certain verses that should become more meaningful to people. And it might be the first verse that speaks to somebody. It might be a verse that you come upon years later and you understand in a new way. Um, for me, if someone were to ask me what my favorite verse in all of Scripture is, um, it is one of the first verses that I felt like really spoke to me, like it called out to me and said, put your eyes here and give your attention here. Um, but it's also something that expresses a lesson about God um, that I, I need to be refreshed by over and over, mm-hmm. um, and that is applicable in every season of my life. So it's in Lamentations. Oh, really? I told you it's a book a lot of people forget about. Yeah. Right? It's in Lamentations. Interesting. Uh, and Lamentations is a series of psalm-like poems that are weeping for essentially the loss of Jerusalem, Mm -hmm. written from Exodus, probably during the Babylonian Exodus. Uh, But in any case, it's in Lamentations chapter 3, starts at verse 55. But I called on your name, Yahweh, from deep within the pit. The pit, by the way, is Sheol. That was the Jewish afterlife. You heard me when I cried. Listen to my pleading. Hear my cry for help. Yes, you came when I called. You told me, do not fear. Lord, you have come to my defense. You have redeemed my life. And for me, that's, that's where it ends in verse 58. So it's Lamentations 3, uh, 55 through 58. And gotcha. Just that, that theme of, it almost starts with like surprise, but I called on your name and you heard me from the pit, from, from the, the depths of the hell that I was living through, mm-hmm. and you redeemed my life. That's who God is. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. It's fantastic. So, yeah, that's me. But uh, what good. about yourself? Mm-hmm. Well, I think I've been sitting on Joshua 1.9 for like five years now. I know it's actually one of the more popular verses, but... I think it's because it's a good one. Um, I like it because there's so much encapsulated in this one verse. I'll read it and then I'll explain it. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. The Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. And I love it because there is so much personal feel to that like have i not commanded you like god is relational with us and then he's encouraging to be strong to be courageous because i will be with you no matter what and it kind of it reminds me of like that footprints poem yeah where it's like god we were walking in the sand and and then things got really tough and then it was just it was just me by my. It was just the one set of footprints. Right, what happened? Right. And then the poem ends with like, "Well, that's where I picked you up and carried you." Yeah. You know, yeah. Like it just it invokes that in me. It helps me. It encourages me. It it really helps me to really embrace the fact that not only is he calling me to do something, but he's going to do it with me, and that I should be strong and brave. And a lot of times, I don't want to do those things. I don't mm. want to be strong. I don't want to be brave. I want to. Hmm. I want to stay at home and eat ice cream and. And not go do that hard thing that yeah. I know I should, yeah. you know, because sometimes having what, like we talked about, having integrity, having 
the the strength to go out and step out of your comfort zone is hard. He doesn't call us to an easy life. The Bible does not describe the Christian life as an easy one. Yeah. But it does say things like this. It does See, say we are not alone. And that verse connects so much nice. to the things that Jesus told his disciples. You know mm-hmm. what it makes? It makes me think of the Great Commission, mm-hmm. right? Because even though the words be strong and courageous are not in the Great Commission, Jesus assures his disciples, all authority on earth and, has been, and in heaven has been given to me. And what are the last words of the Great Commission? I'm with you always mm-hmm. till the end of the age. Yes, indeed. So when we talk about the unity of Scripture, and we talked earlier about those connections, that's just a taste, man. Mm-hmm. And if you want the full meal, join a spiritual community and dig into this text, this God-breathed text, so that you can understand. Yeah. All right. Well, well done. Thank you for joining us. This has been season two, episode three, talking about the Bible tonight. I do want to say that if there was any particular thing that we discussed in regards to the Bible, or if you have a question about the Bible, I think that's a question that if we got an email, no matter how long we've been doing this podcast, how long ago maybe we recorded this, I feel like we would always be willing to answer a question if you have one about the Bible. Yeah, for sure. So if you have, um, if you haven't heard us say it, you can email us at contact at rarcpodcast.com. Um, you can email or you can message us on our social media sites please do we would love to to help maybe answer some questions you might have or if you just want to say hi we love people who want to just say hi as well Uh, have a good evening and thank you for listening amen amen